Good afternoon, beautiful people. Welcome to the Bride of Our Lord Jesus Christ podcast. And I am your host, Udwak Abasi. Um, it's been a minute. It's been a while. And it's been too long, to be honest. But um, I'm back better than ever. Just taking some time out to go through this journey with God and to try and understand more of what it is he would want me to do and where he's directing me and leading me to. <clears throat> okay, so we're starting a new series. Our last series was the Road to Forgiveness and I'm very excited for this series because it's one that inspires my existence, it inspires my, it literally inspires what I'm doing and I'm so happy to share this with you. This is this is literally straight from the throne of grace. Um, our new series is going to be the um the story of Jesus. Now, I'm not talking about the story of Jesus just because um just like it's written in the Bible. I'm going to try by the grace of God and by the inspiration and guidance of the Holy Spirit. I'm going to speak to you guys about the meanings behind certain things that jesus christ did in his story and the process to it like if we pay attention to it i'll try my best to summarize and to um put it in details as much as i can um because jesus christ did a lot of things i mean it's it's even said by most scholars that if everything that jesus christ did was to be written down obviously we will not even we will not we'll still be reading it we won't be done reading because jesus christ did a lot of things but i'm just going to break down the significant parts of what jesus did that really stood out to me and um i'm really excited to share this with you guys okay so i'm just going to go straight down to it for those of you that are on my instagram i posted a video which is actually quite annoying because i actually posted like a, it was an 18 minutes long video but then it was shortened down to one minute and I didn't realize it until recently. So it's actually quite annoying. And I already deleted it from my phone because I had to make space. So pissed. But anyways, um, I was talking about the, Ma I was doing a series of Jesus, like I just said, and we're talking about Matthew because Matthew is literally the beginning of the New Testament and the New Testament talks about Jesus Christ. So in my Matthew study, I, I, before I did, um, matthew 21 i had recently i had done matthew i done matthew um 16 and 17 and so on but i haven't really broken it out in details so today what i'm really going to talk about like i did this morning and i have to repeat it because obviously it's really it stood out to me it was very significant to me is matthew 21 um we are going to go back and forth the book of matthew and really really go deep into the study of jesus and the story of jesus christ of nazareth let me just specify because these days a lot of people are called jesus but spelled as jesus so i gotta have to specify that our study is on jesus christ of nazareth the son of the living god in whom i am his bride so this is what we're talking about today we're talking about my husband okay okay so um <laughs> yeah matthew 21 now before i go ahead i'm just going to say a short prayer because we really need the holy spirit to lead us in this study because 
you see that everything that Jesus Christ did after his baptism was from the leading of the Holy Spirit. And because the Spirit of God came upon him like a dove after he was baptized. So for us to discuss the story of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, we have to have the Holy Spirit in this conversation. It has to be a discussion where the Holy Spirit is here and Christ himself is here and we are able to shed light on his activities and the reason for which he did certain things in which he did. Okay, so I'm going to say a little prayer in Jesus' name. In the mighty name of Jesus, Heavenly Father, I thank you, I worship you. I exalt your name and magnify you for all that you've done, all that you're doing and all that you're about to do. Eternal Rock of Ages, I pray and I ask, O oh Lord God Almighty, that as I'm about to go into this series and into this study, let your presence come and be here with us, O oh Lord God Almighty. Anything that will stand as a hindrance, O oh God, to this study, we come against it with the blood of Jesus and the fire of the Holy Ghost. Eternal Rock of Ages, O oh God, we ask that you come, O oh God, and study with us, shed light with us. Holy Spirit, you are the great teacher and you are the one that came upon Jesus Christ of Nazareth like a dove and from there henceforth he went on doing miracles. Father, as we ask, I ask, O Lord God Almighty, as we are about to do your study of your word of your son, Jesus Christ, we ask, O Lord God Almighty, that you come, send your Holy Spirit to teach us, to help us, give us understanding and wisdom and everything that we need to know and everything that we need to learn from the story and the journey, the life and death of Jesus Christ. For in Jesus Christ, my sin name I pray, amen and amen. Okay, so I said I'm gonna do Matthew 21. Okay, so I have to repeat almost everything I said this morning. I'll try my best to repeat everything, but if I can't, just, yeah, I'll repeat every, well, won't repeat it, but shed more understanding because yeah so matthew 21 talks about if you look at the journey of matthew 21 it talks about the life the times of jesus well it talks about the the role my understanding talks about the role of jesus christ as a son like matthew 21 for me was that period or that time in jesus's life where he fully entered into the authority and the duty of him being the son of the living God. Why this is very important is because we see that in Matthew 21, right? Um, first of all, it started off with the triumphant entry. That's Jesus' triumphant entry into Jerusalem. The irony of this is that it's called the triumphal entry of Jesus Christ. Even when I was doing Christian religious knowledge in secondary school, in the textbooks, it should tell you triumphal entry of Jesus Christ. So that word is really is really stuck in my mind. But the irony of this triumphal entry is that Jesus Christ is entering into the city where he will be crucified. I mean, obviously, you will not consider that as, as a triumphant entry because he's getting to, he's entering the city where he's going to die. So, um, but then it's described in the Bible as the triumphal entry of Jesus Christ into Jerusalem. Like he's, he boldly walked into his death, knowing that that was his purpose. And for me, that, that period, that this entry is literally, it shows you that it's, it, for me, it shows the, um, the importance of what is, it shows how much he had grown into that authority, into that position, into that duty as a son. 
for me, it, it shows that he said to himself, like, this is what I have to do as a son and I'm doing it. And he just walks straight into it. And he doesn't just walk straight into it. He walks straight into it. He enters straight into it on the back of the donkey and with people shouting. And now this is very important because people were, they were praising him, but they were calling him out of his name. They were praising him, but they were not describing him as who he really was. Now, before the triumphal entry, you know that Jesus Christ did a couple of miracles. He did miracles in different cities. He healed, um, he healed people. He healed, um, he healed people. He spoke different parables. He fed the ten thousand. He fed the five thousand. He sent out the disciples to people's houses. He, he literally, Jesus Christ did so many things before this. But everything else that he did, I believe, was preparation for what he was just about to do in Jerusalem. And he tried his best, I believe, to prepare his disciples. If you look at if you look at the book of um if you look at from Matthew where okay, Matthew sixteen. Matthew sixteen, you have Jesus Christ asking his disciples, Who do men say I am? And some of them said that, oh, they call him a prophet. They said he's Elijah. Some said he's John the Baptist. Some said he's so many things. Then he now asked them, who do you say I am? I believe that the reason why Jesus Christ asked this question was because it was very important. It was very important that his disciples, the people in which he was spending most of his time on earth with, people that were following him about, I mean, lots of people followed Jesus. But these 12, he personally picked them and he chose them. So it was important to him that the people that he has chosen, because he was just about to die and his death was not going to be for nothing. So it's like he had to know if these people am just about to die and I've done so much and you've witnessed me do so much. So you that you've witnessed so much, do you know who I am? So he asked them, who do people say I am? Who do you think I am? And um, Peter replied, you are Jesus Christ, the son of the living God. And that is that's that's profound because you notice that after that after this after this this comment from peter right when jesus christ entered jerusalem he after this comment he became closer peter john peter john john and james became closer to him than the rest of the other disciples because they were, you know how the Bible says, many are called, but few are chosen. Twelve of them were called, but only three were chosen. Peter was the first to be chosen because from that acknowledgement, and the part of being chosen is not just from like duty, it's from understanding. Peter understood who he was, who Jesus Christ was. And it wasn't flesh and blood that revealed it to him. So that means in our being chosen by God, it has nothing to do with flesh it has nothing to do with the flesh and blood it has nothing to do with the physical it has everything to do with the spiritual it has everything to do with the spirit and it's the spirit of god that gives understanding so you see that for peter to even know who christ was that means it was a spirit the spirit of god had already signified had already um had already marked him to be chosen so some people think that to be chosen is just this is just a by it's just a side i don't know why this is coming but it's just a side some people think that to be chosen means that you have to do something the physical i'm doing this i'm doing that but it has nothing to do with that it is literally like you know how god says i will show mercy on who i will show mercy on who i will show mercy on it's more or less like a discretion thing 
You cannot say by yourself, okay, by doing this, I'll be chosen. Peter had something in him and he understood. This is someone that used to fish. He was fishing, he was a fisherman. So he didn't have a background of growing up in church or anything. He literally used to fish. So that should go to show you that literally it's at the discretion of God to choose who it is, who, who he wants to choose. And he chose Peter and you see that Peter had an understanding. And when I think, I think more than everything, Peter's confirmation of who Jesus Christ was, was a, was like, it was significant to the journey of Christ. It was It shows that Christ actually, I mean, it was not, his journey was not just um, everything he did from baptism to choosing disciples to the miracles he performed. It was not just his doings. It was clearly through the spirit of God and also clearly through like, um, clearly the people that were with him understood this. That goes to show he, he had that, being able to do that made him, gave him that assurance that these people know who I am. At least the people I'm, the people I have chosen, they know who I am. And if the people I have chosen know who I am, I have no problem with leaving because I can leave. And I know that these ones I have chosen, it's not even the father too has chosen them too. So it's not a lot, you know, it wasn't enough for like Jesus Christ to choose them, but also that the spirit of God too, God had confirmed and had chosen them too, because from, from Peter's words, it confirmed that yes, God has actually chosen these ones. And that's why Peter was actually used. He said to Peter, he said, um, you are Peter, you are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not overcome it. Will not pre Other version says will not prevail against it. That goes to show you that that was a confirmation that God had all had, had that was a, a co-sign from God. Like, yes, these people know you who you are. You can now go ahead and tell them what you want to tell them before you leave. Because everything that you share with them, they will take it because now you can see that I am backing your decision. I am backing the people that you have chosen. So you see that um, moving forward, um, then Jesus Christ that I told you before he entered Jerusalem, prepared his disciples. So he started preparing them. He started telling them, okay, um, I'm going to die. I'm going to go into Jerusalem. This is what's going to happen. But you see here that Peter, obviously, being so passionate and loving Jesus so much, he said, oh, you will not die. And Jesus rebuked him in that instance. Like, okay, yes, I understand. This, the battle, the thing about this section of the Bible, it shows the battle between the spirit and the flesh. And the spirit of God, yes, highlighted to Peter who Jesus was. But then the flesh was the one that was trying to stop him from the purpose. So that's just you that as much as people might know who you are spiritually, they may not know the journey that you have to go to, or they may not approve of that journey because it might be so different from what they know. Or it might be like, how can you, it, it can be so different and so like confusing. They might not understand the journey, but then you see, cause it's, it showed in Peter, but it takes discretion. It just, obviously Jesus Christ really rebukes him. And obviously he wasn't calling Peter a demon or calling Peter the devil, but he has seen that obviously the devil has tried to sieve him out um, and everything. So back to 21. So 21, like I said, it was a triumphal entry of Jesus Christ. Now, triumphal entry was walking into that authority. He was going into that place where he was facing, he was like walking into the valley of the shadow of death. That's literally my in my intention, like in my mind, that's how I see it. And because that's where he was going, he was walking into his death. 
But then he didn't just walk into it like, oh, I'm so sad, I'm doing it. He walked into it with style. He walked into it with people praising him. And that's like, that's like, that's a beautiful thing. I think that is what is called the triumphant entry of Jesus Christ because you would see that the Pharisees later on were the ones that planned for his death. These Pharisees have been following Jesus before he entered Jerusalem. They've been following him. They've been questioning every single thing that he has been doing. So obviously they sent words to the Pharisees too that were in Jerusalem that are, our guy that has been causing problems all this in all these other cities is coming to your side too. So prepare for him. So they've always been, they've been preparing, they've been planning to kill Jesus like way, way before. And you see how Jesus like with his head up, with style, with finesse, he walked into Jerusalem like where them they? Okay, he didn't walk into Jerusalem like where them they? But you get what I mean? Like he walked into it, he didn't just send anybody. Now, let me show you how, why I say that he walked into Jerusalem with like where them they attitude, like come for me and eat like you, you can't go if i don't say for you don't come for me kind of attitude he walks into there like what's what's good jerusalem i'm gonna die here what it was in literally that's how he walked into me personally that's how i see it because you see here the reason why i went to 16 went back to 16 because peter had identified jesus christ as the son of the living god but you see here in the walking in on the triumphal entry of jesus christ you see how they're saying hosanna to the son of david and they're saying blessed is he who is the name who comes in the name of the lord hosanna in the highest and then they now said when he entered jerusalem the whole city was was stirred and they asked who is this the crowd answered this is jesus the prophet from nazareth in galilee that's not who he was jesus christ is christ the son of the living god but here you see that he entered the city and they're asking why and they called they just they gave him another they, they called him a prophet he was more than a prophet obviously now this, now we see that he's more than a prophet but he was more than a prophet but they did not know this but they called him the prophet they called him the prophet from the from nazareth in galilee this is why i see jesus christ walked in with the word and the attitude because you see that as they called him the prophet from nazareth he didn't even respond he walked on that cam, he was on that cam, and then he walked straight down with his head up like, what's good, Jerusalem? Everybody, he did, he did not call anybody to praise him. He did not call anybody to do anything. Everybody that laid their palm, their palm front on the floor, that, 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 that laid whatever, their mats on the floor, that called his name, that said, they all came at their own discretion. He did not control any, he did not tell anyone come through, he did not, nothing like that. They all came on their own. And to show you so far that as he walked in and they were still calling him the prophets, the this and son of David, he did not say anything. He did not even argue, he did not even tell people, no, that's not who I am, I'm the son of God and I'm here to do. Mm -mm. He get quiet. He was just like, what? Well, let's do this. He went straight. The first place that Jesus Christ went to is the temple. I'm going to probably spend a couple more minutes on this particular part of the um of the text because this is a very crucial part. Jesus Christ walked into the city where he was to be buried, where he was to be crucified. The first place he visited was his bride. The first place he went to was the temple. It was his church. It says the church is like the bride of Christ. The bride of Christ is the church if you look at the book of Revelation. The bride of Christ is the church. And me and you, we are 
got the church. And the first place he went to was the temple because he was dying for the temple. So he went to see the, I'm, I'm, it's like, I'm entering, the reason why I'm entering this city is because I'm about to die. Why is he dying? He's dying for the church. He laid his life down for the church. Why am I saying this? Because you see, in the book of Ephesians, when we talk about the man and the woman, the husband and the wife, you see that he said that the husband should love their wives and lay their life down for their wife, just as Christ did for the church when he died for the church. So you see that Christ prior from entry into Jerusalem was to die, not for any reason, but for the church. So he went to the temple in which he was dying. And now he specified that when people said that they would build up, he said they would break down the temple. Um, um, he said if, if they if they break down the temple in three days, he will build it back up. He was able like he went in for the he went in for the church, his bride. He did not play with his bride. Jesus did not play with his wife. He's like, what? He did not, he said he entered the city. The first place he went into was his bride. I'm coming to die for you. So I'm coming to see you first before anything. Let's as in, let, I'm, this is why I am here. I'm coming to die for you. And when he went to the temple, what's the thing he did? The first thing he saw was money changers, people selling market in front of his, his temple. It's like, I, I don't understand. What's, as in, what's happening here? Jesus Christ cleared it. He flogged everybody, flogged them, gave flog Shege out of them. For those of you that, that are listening to this, I don't know what Shege is. Shege kind of means like flogging nonsense or flogging sense into someone and flogging nonsense out. So that's what Jesus Christ did. He literally like flogged everybody and he turned the tables of the money changers. Now notice something. After he did this, he said, it is written, he said to them, my house will be called a house of prayer, but you are making it in, uh, making it a den of robbers. One thing I love about Jesus, my husband, my bridegroom, is that Jesus, right, is not a, he's not much of a talker. He's a doer. He will do and then talk. He will not talk and do. He does it first. So you will ask and wonder why is he doing this, and then he will tell you. He don't. He doesn't just tell you from. See, this is why I keep saying I love Jesus because he won't just tell you from his own flesh. The first thing that comes out of his mouth is it is written. He tells you according to the word. It is written. That's the first thing he says. It is written before anything else. Before anything else, even when you go back to every time the Pharisees came to him to ask Jesus Christ a question, to try, try and tempt him, Jesus Christ would tell them, have you not read? For it is written, like he always refers back to it. So he takes the action of the word. He does the word. After he does the word, then he tells you the word that he's doing. So when you don't see him act, you don't think that he's just acting out of. No, there's a word that backs up his action. And if you ask him, he can justify that action with the word. That is why when he was beating those people, he said, For it is written, my house shall be a house of prayer and not a den of robbers. And you've turned it to a den of robbers. So for this reason, he flogged them. He flogged, flogged the nonsense out of them and they left. Now, before I go further down into the um, fig tree and everything, I want us to understand something, the dynamic between Christ and the church. How he came into Jerusalem to kill, to, 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 be, to be killed 
obviously for the church because in Ephesians we are told that he, he he died for the church he came in to die for the church and you see here that he the first act before he even did anything before he even addressed the church before he even went into the church he was serving he saw something that was not right about his bride and he clarified that situation quick he dealt with that situation right there and then he didn't even pause see if jesus christ was a man of the flesh if he wasn't led by the spirit of god which he was but if he wasn't if he was a if the men people of the world would will walk into their their the, the purpose in which you're about to die they will just walk in with pride and they will not notice if it was a man on the flesh, he wouldn't have noticed, like, obviously, he wouldn't have noticed the money changers that were in front of his temple, which was wrong. He wouldn't have noticed that he would have just walked straight up. And obviously, it was a man of the... If, if he was, all the praises would have gotten to his head so much that he would have just been puffed up and he would have entered into that place. But then, even in his way them day attitude, he was humble enough to identify that there was a problem with his bride. There was a problem because there were people in front that were portraying a negative image about his bride that wasn't true. There were people in front that were changing money, that were doing this thing. And that is not the image that God said about his church. That was not the image that God said about his bride. God said that they, his church would be, a, a, his house would be the house of prayer. That was his identity. And he said, no, 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 no. This house is the house of prayer. You are turning it into a den of robbers. First thing he did was to pick up a king and he flogged the robbers out because no, you're not about to turn my, my bride into a den of robbers because my bride is a house of prayer. Now, let me explain that to you. House of prayer, what does that mean? A house of prayer is a place where, what's prayer? Prayer is communication to God. That means he said that, his temple, his house is supposed to be a place where there's consistent and constant communication with the father. Now, prayer could be any type of prayer because you are told to pray all kinds of prayers. So that's supplication, petition, forgiveness, thanksgiving, all types of prayers. So there should be a constant communication with the father. That is who his wife is. His wife is not just, his bride is not just a his church, which is the bride, is not just is not just a place. It is a it is a channel of communication to the Father. The church, the temple, his house, the house of God, the house of Jesus, which he which he came to die for, is a channel of communication. He came to keep that channel clean. He died so that channel can stay consistent and existent. He died so that. We can have a clear mode of communication because the way the world was going, obviously, that will show you example that the way things were going, if Jesus Christ was not there, his house that was supposed to be a channel of communication to God would have turned into a den of robbers. But then what Jesus Christ came and he did, which is literally like a typical example of why he even died. Hmm. Jesus Christ died so that we can have we can be able to get to the father that's why we said that no one can go through the father except through jesus christ he's not the clear he's not the he opened that doorway for us to have a clear a clear access to the father and which is for this reason why we pray the name of jesus christ so for jesus christ to enter the temple is a physical manifestation of what he did spiritually or what he was about to do spiritually because you see that jesus christ came his bride 
the people selling money, doing all of the things, robbing, stealing den of robbers in front of his church, in front of the reason why he came to die. And the first thing he did was he brought himself down from that donkey. That means he died to the ego of people calling him, oh, Jesus, son of David. Imagine son of David picking up kings to flood people. Obviously, at that point, it's like everybody was hyped about him. So he was about to walk into the temple. And, they, and you read that, you see that the children were still following him because they were still praising him. He came down from that donkey, from his triumphant entry. He came down and he picked up Cain and he started flogging. That was service. That's a manifestation of how you could see that he let, he put his ego aside and saw that my bride is being portrayed in a negative way. I'm dropping my ego and I'm fighting for my bride. And he dropped his, he literally came down from that donkey, picked up in and started flogging all the den of robbers out of that place. And then he now said, for it is written, this is who my bride is. My bride is not a den of robbers. My temple is not a den of robbers. My temple is a temple of prayer. My temple is a temple that will have clear access and communication with the Father. My temple is a channel to the Father. So this temple cannot be a den of robbers. And that is what Jesus Christ did. Which is literally, that's a physical manifestation of what he did spiritually for us. And that is why now we can, we can pray to God in the name of Jesus because we now have clear access. That's why we have been advised to pray without season. We have been given that authority. We have been given that power. We have been given that access, straight, clear, simple access to the Father to pray any type of prayer, any type of prayer. So you see that in doing this, he, he cleared the way and he did that. And then he went into the temple and, um, and um, people were still, they were still praising him, calling him. Um, son of David, Hosanna to the son of David. No, what beats me, what just came to my mind, like if the Pharisees were even angry that they'd be calling him the son of David, imagine if they found out that he was actually like, as in if, he, if, if Jesus Christ himself was saying that I am the son of the living God, that means he would have killed him since. Because if you're vexing that they're calling me son of David, how much more will you vex when you find out that I'm the son of the living God? The God that you worship and that I'm his, I'm his child. I'm telling you that we would well, have done this vex, but it just that's a side thought. <laughs> as a side thought. Okay, so after that, he left the city of Jerusalem and he went to the city of Bethany, where he spent the night. He spent the night in the city of Bethany. And on the next morning, he was hungry and he saw a fig tree. And when he saw the fig tree, um, he came closer. And he found out that the fig tree did not have fruits, but it had leaves. And then he said to him, he said, may you never bear fruit again. Immediately, the tree withered. The disciples saw this and they were amazed. And he said, how did the fig tree wither so quickly? They asked Jesus. And Jesus said, I tell you the truth. If you have faith and do not doubt, not only can you do what was done to the fig tree, but also you can say to this mountain, Go throw yourself into the sea and it will be done. If you believe, you will receive whatever you ask in prayer. Let's go back a bit. Jesus Christ described his temple, his bride, as, as a house of prayer. And after that, he shows us, this is why I keep, I would, I would emphasize on the fact that Jesus Christ is my husband, is a doer, not really a talker. Now, one thing I want us to pay attention, we're going to take this from different dimensions. 
We want to take it from the dimension of who Jesus Christ is, his relationship with the church, what he was trying to teach, and his relationship with the disciples. If you notice that the people that Jesus Christ picked were inquisitive people. They wanted to learn. They always asked questions. Because every time they asked questions, it gave him an opportunity to shed light on the word. They asked questions. You cannot, everybody knows that you cannot learn without asking questions. In fact, if you ask questions, it shows that you understand. It actually shows that you even want to know more. Because everything that Jesus Christ did, if you notice the journey, his journey with the disciples, disciples always asked him a question. I always asked him questions. And these were questions that obviously you could tell that there are different types of questions. The Pharisees were asking Jesus Christ questions. The disciples were asking Jesus Christ questions. They were, there's a difference between the questions that the Pharisees were. The Pharisees were asking questions to tell, interrogate Jesus. The disciples were asking questions that were inquisitive, the issues that they wanted to know. So there are different types of people that are asking different questions. There are people that are asking because they genuinely want to know and they are learning. And there are people that are asking because they are trying to interrogate you. They're trying to antagonize you. They're trying to find a weakness in what you're doing. But you can see that's why the, the, the disciples were, were his disciples and the Pharisees were just people that just wanted to, just wanted to like put Jesus down and find his weakness. Because the disciples asked him important questions. They didn't ask him just run important questions. So they saw him do things and they asked him, why this is like, why is this thing like this? Or why did you do this? Or why this and why that? And Jesus Christ tells them according to the word. Now, Jesus Christ said to them that if whatever you believe now, it goes to show you that back in trap, back taking, taking us back to the, the temple, he described his bride as the, um, as a house of prayer. And then he now goes further down after the after that encounter at pursuing the money changers in the fig tree. He now tells them that whatsoever you believe in prayer and you do not doubt you'll receive. That means when you get to my house, mm, the only way you can get what you want, the only way, see, the thing about channels is that when belief is like an antenna. Your belief is like an antenna and your belief is very sensitive. That's why you can believe anything. But if your belief is geared and channeled, is your belief is in is in direction with the channel. Like your belief and your channel is your antenna is in the right position. Your belief, you're believing in the right thing and you're in the right position. You will tap current in the channel and you will get the right, you will get what you want. I'm using this as an example. I'm going to put a mental picture in your mind. Like imagine all those old TVs, all those olden days TVs that had those antennas that you had to keep turning and turning and turning until you get it right. Until when you hit a certain angle, you get you can tap into the um the channel and then it now starts to reflect on your TV. That is what Christ was about to that, that's what he was literally emphasizing and explaining. That my house is a channel of communication to the Father. My house is a channel of communication because prayer is communicating to God. My house is that channel of communication to the Father. And for you to get anything, for you to get what you want in that channel, your belief, which is your antenna, has to be entwined with that with, with the channel. That means you have to believe what you're saying. You have to believe what you're asking. You have to believe in the channel. You have to believe in your prayer before you pray. 
So you have to believe in that channel of communication. You have to believe in God. You have to believe in him in order for you to actually get. If you believe, you can get anything. That means if your belief, if your antenna is in the right channel, you can get anything. If you, there, are some, there are some angles that you can get four or five stations at the same time from that angle. So if you have your belief is the is the antenna, and if your antenna is 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 geared towards the right channel, you will get whatever you want. And that's what Jesus Christ was trying to tell us, trying to tell us. And you you go further down that after that the um the the question of the authority he was speaking and um the pharisees these people that are always following jesus and i started asking him on what let me let me ask you um i will also ask you one question i'm trying to read the bible <laughs> that's matthew 21 verse 20 it says by what authority are you doing these things they ask and who gave you the authority i talked about questions right the disciples always ask Jesus Christ why. And the Pharisees always ask Jesus Christ who. Pharisees were very, they were focused on identity. But the disciples were focused on, on the why, the purpose. Pharisees were focused on identity. The disciples were focused on, on purpose. Pharisees were focused on the flesh. The disciples were focused on the spirit spiritual things are things of purpose things of identity is flesh identity is oh i am this i am doing this from this but the disciples were interested in this purpose the disciples the people that were hungry for the spirit they wanted to know what the spirit was saying they wanted to know the why the pharisees wanted to know the who who's of who and what of who who on what authority and whose power and who's this that's to show you that difference. I'm specifying this thing because in this day and age, there are a lot of Pharisees that look like disciples. And because we are not able to discern between a disciple and a Pharisee, we start to listen to Pharisees and take their doctrines. And that is why there's a lot of doctrines out there. And a lot of people are turning against God and saying that, oh, Christianity is this, Christianity is that. No, you people are listening to Pharisees. You're listening to Pharisees, you're not listening to true disciples. Because there's a difference between disciples and Pharisees. Disciples focus on purpose. Pharisees focus on identity. They focus on the flesh. They focus on appearing. Because the Pharisees were those people that were seen to be scholars of the Bible. They were addressed as people that knew the word of God. They were addressed as, oh, these are men that are of authority. So these men, if they say yes, then it's yes. To this, they, they could wake up the next morning and say, God said this, and the whole people will take because they were seen as scholars of the word of god these were men that will appear to be men of god and they will they will, they will appear to be scholars of god but then behind closed doors they were doing formidable things things that will not come in public and because of this jesus christ came jesus christ came to establish purpose not identity now that is why when he was walking the triumphant entry of jesus christ when they were saying to jesus oh son of david Oh, Jesus, he didn't stop and tell them that's not who he was. He continued because his focus was on purpose and not identity. So we listen to Pharisees that focus on identity rather than purpose. And that is why we confuse Christians. We confuse discipleship for being Pharisees. Jesus Christ was a man of purpose. He wasn't a man of identity. He wanted to know if his disciples knew who he was. 
because it was important that the people that are following him at least this and the thing is the profound thing is that when peter said it peter said when peter said who he was jesus christ said flesh and blood did not refuse this to you obviously because they were focused on the spirit it was the spirit that revealed to them this is who this man is but those that were focused on identity and flesh were busy asking questions they were busy confused they were busy trying to find out whose authority where is he coming from who gave him this power who did this who did that the disciples were asking him why why are you doing this like this why are you not doing it that way and he was telling them according to the word of god now you see that um in that they asked him the pharisees asked him in whose authority and jesus christ said to said this to them he said okay i'll answer you right i want to he now said to them i'll ask you i answer you on one on one condition if you tell me john's baptism where did it come from did it come from heaven or was it from men now obviously they could not answer that because they knew that if if they answered that it was from heaven they are acknowledging that because they are the ones that really persecuted in fact they neglected john when john came and was and was doing baptism they were they, they just came to watch See, if you notice that in John's story, when the when people came, when the Pharisees came, or when he was in baptism, they said, you vipers, who, how did you know? Or who warned you about the coming, the coming doom? So they really, they were not really for John the Baptist, these Pharisees. And they had turned a couple of people away from John the Baptist. But then, obviously, when Jesus Christ came, he was the one that baptized Jesus. So Jesus Christ was, he wanted them to, he wanted to, he wanted to show their hypocrisy. He was trying to reveal who they really were without actually telling them, oh, you are Pharisees, you are this, you are that. He asked them, okay, fine. You want to know whose authority I'm operating? First of all, answer me this question. John's baptism, was it from heaven or was it from men? If they said it was from heaven, they will acknowledge that they were hypocrites because they were the ones that were against John the Baptist. If they said it was from men, there were people there that were John's followers. Obviously, they would have started, they would have beaten them to pop. Because obviously that's why, and that's this is what they said. They said we can neither tell you by what authority he can. Okay, he was telling them he was like um, the Pharisee said to him and said that they did not, um, they did not. He said he said um, if he says from heaven, he will ask us. Then why didn't you believe him? But if we say from men, we are afraid of the people for they will they will all hold that John was a prophet. So the answer Jesus, we do not know. And because the answer Jesus did not know, Jesus said, okay, cool. Neither will I tell you what authority I'm doing these things in. And then he goes after that, he talks about the parable of the two sons. He preaches about the parable of the two sons while he was in the temple. And he tells the people in the temple that there were two sons. Now, this is very important because Jesus Christ preached in the temple for the first time since his ordination as the son of God. If you read through the Bible carefully, all the parables and everything Jesus taught, he taught them on the streets. The only time Jesus Christ entered the temple was when, in fact, he entered the temple, but he read. He did not preach. He was reading the book of Isaiah, and which was the confirmation of his story. This is the first time Jesus Christ ever preached in the temple. And he's preaching in the temple. He said two parables. One about the two sons and one about the ten talents. I'm going to go into, um, first of all, I'm going to talk about the two sons. 
Now I'm reading this directly so that we can break it down together. What do you think? That's um, Matthew 21 verse 28. What do you think? There was a man who had two sons. He went to the first and said, Son, go and walk today in the vineyard. I will not, he answered. But later he changed his mind and went. Then the father went to the other son and said the same thing. He answered, I will, sir, but he did not go. Which of the two did, did what the father wanted? The first, they answered. Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth. The tax collectors and the prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God ahead of you. For John came to you to show you the way of righteousness and you did not believe him. But the tax collectors and the prostitutes did. And even after you saw this, you did not repent and believe him. Hmm. This is a very deep. This is very deep. And I'm going to try my best for this spirit help me to explain this. Jesus Christ for the first time preached in the temple. For the first time. And he told them about the, how the prostitutes and the tax collectors would make it into heaven before him. He was on the streets always preaching. He was always on the streets sharing. He was feeding 5,000 on the streets. He housed people. He fed them on the streets. He shared the word for them on the streets. Street people are considered to be prostitutes. Those are the, the people that you, who are the people you find on the streets? Prostitutes. Who are the people that you find the tax collectors on the street? Because obviously they were money changers, so they had to be on the streets. The fishermen on the streets, they had to be outside. Those were the people that listened and believed, to Jesus, believed about Jesus. The people in the church did not believe him. The people in the temple did not believe who he was. But the people on the streets believed who he was. And the people on the street are examples of people that he went and he preached the word to them. It's like that. It's like, yeah, I will classify them as the first ones. And the people in the church, I could classify them as the second. Because before Jesus Christ entered into the church to preach, he already preached on the streets. So he already shared the word on the streets. And obviously, most of them uh, will not listen to him, will not do it. But trust me, when Jesus Christ died, was Mary Magdalene that was the first woman that saw the empty tomb. And he was she was the first woman to see Jesus after his death. If we read down before that, Mary was the woman that Jesus Christ delivered from. She had seven demons in her. And she became the first woman to see Jesus Christ. You see that these are, I mean, obviously he preached the word of God to them. And most of them, obviously at that point, did not listen. But at his death, they were all transformed. And he said to them, he said, that's why he said that the first, the um, prostitutes are considered, I will consider them as, as the first sons, the prostitutes and the tax collectors. Because he went to them first and they did not listen to him. Obviously, they said they, they said they would not do it. After he died, they were the first people that did it. In fact, they were the ones that, that carried the gospel of Jesus Christ. Peter carried the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul, a persecutor of Christus, carried the, Paul, carried the word of Jesus Christ to all nations. And um, the second sons are people in the church. People that said, okay, yes, I will serve, I will work for God. Yes, I will work. And they do the opposite. They're in the church, but they're not working. They're like the Pharisees. Go to church. He said, yes, I'll do the work of God, but you are actually not doing it. Then you don't do it. You get there and you just don't do it. 
you do something else but you don't do it because for you to work for the father you have to do it with the inspiration you look at jesus christ jesus christ did not walk by the flesh he did it by the inspiration of the spirit of the holy he did it by the holy spirit so you cannot work for god and walk in the flesh you always have to be led by the spirit of god because the bible says they that are led by the spirit shall be called the sons of god so your authority and your power as a son and and your role your duty as a son is nothing without the spirit of god if you do not obey the spirit if you know if you're not led by the spirit of god you are not a child you are not a son you might be a child because children can be led by different spirits but you're not you haven't come to your sonship yet you haven't matured into your sonship and who you are you are still a child and child children can be led by different things but a son is led by the spirit of god so first of all you see that in those are saying that they are not going to they said they were going to do it, but they ended up not doing it because you can't work for god without being led jesus christ did work for he did work but everything he did even the miracles he performed it was led by the spirit do you know why do you know how we can know that he was led by the spirit because after he performed all the miracles in which he did when he was questioned he was backed up by the word he had the word his response was always it is written or have you not read by the prophets it was written by the prophets and then the next parable that's him differentiating he's telling them what is to happen the first people i preached to them they said they will not do it but they will do it you you said you will do it you're in the temple but you're not going to do it so these ones are going to go ahead of you he was just warning them letting them know the truth that those in the streets are going to do they're going to get to heaven they're going to hear my word and they're going to believe it before you do and they're going to get to heaven before you do so being a pharisee and being a hypocrite will not help you you can take a lesson or two from them because they have said no they will not do it but they are going to do it i'll go further to the next parable the parable of the ten talents of the talents actually not ten talents but that's a different parable parable of the talents i'll read it that's matthew 21 verse 33 listen to another parable there was a landowner who planted a vineyard. He put a wall around it, dug a wine press in it, and built a watchtower. Then he rented the vineyard to some farmers and went away on a journey. When the farmer's time approached, the harvest time approached, he sent his he sent his servants to the to the tenants to collect his fruits. The tenants seized his servants, they beat one, killed another, and stoned the third. Then he sent other servants to them more than the first time and the tenants treated them more than the tenants treated them the same way last of all he sent his son to them they will respect my son he said but when the tenants saw the son they said to each other this is the heir come let's kill him and take his inheritance so they took him and threw him out of the vineyard and killed him Therefore, when the owner of the divine year comes, what will he do to those tenants? He will bring those wretched, those wretch, bring those wretches to a wretched end, they replied. And he will rent the vineyard to other tenants who will give him his share of the crop at harvest time. Jesus said to them, have you never read in the scriptures? My guy, Jesus, always, always, always. Okay, let me continue. <laughs> Have you never read in the scriptures the stone the builders rejected 
has become the capstone. The Lord has done this, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Therefore, I tell you that the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people who will produce its fruits. He who, he who falls on the stone will be broken to pieces, but he who is falls will be crushed. Now, when the chief priests and the Pharisees heard Jesus' parables, they knew he was talking about them. They looked for a way to arrest him, but they were afraid of the crowd because the people held, the people, the people held that he was a prophet. This parable is profound. I would, I'll be honest to you that I, I can't, I can't fully say I can explain every. I understand every single thing. There seems some questions I'm still in my system. I'm still asking internally from the Holy Spirit to explain to me. But I'll do the, the best I can. Jesus Christ here is talking about literally the world. He's talking about the world and how the world treats the servants of the living God. How they have treated, how they will treat, and how they continue to treat. You see that this um the vineyard here is is the earth right and obviously um the landowner is god himself and he has placed us here as like he placed some people as tenants in my understanding this morning i looked at the tenants as the leaders the leaders as to like the um the people that are leading the people that god that has been put into a leadership position and leadership role in order to take care in order to lead the people in order to direct and um he sends his servants that's like his prophets if you look at the story of david and the children of israel when they wanted to they didn't want to be led by judges anymore they wanted a king and it was now a position where jesus like, like was now a position where god was ordaining he wanted a prophet. So prophets were needed in order to ordain kings. And that's why we have prophet Samuel. Samuel was the one that ordained. First of all, he picked Saul. But you know the story of Saul. It was pride, consumed by pride. He wanted to kill David. He eventually died a madman. But then you see David. David was also ordained. You see the story of how Jesus Christ ordained David by himself. I'm no, sorry. Samuel ordained David. I'm talking about Jesus. That's why. Jesus is always in my name. But... It's always in my mind, so I can't really help myself. <laughs> okay, so we see here that um, David was ordained by Samuel himself. And um, Samuel was a prophet. So in that generation, that time, there was a need for kingly priests. That leaders that were not just, but leaders that were also had the assistance of servants. So it was a situation where for God's kingdom to be established, they needed to be leaders. And they have to be servants. That's like the prophets. The prophets were the ones that conveyed the information from the um from the throne of grace from God to the leaders. So the leaders knew were accountable to prophets. The leaders were not doing anyhow. But then you see here that as time went on, as the as years God went by, that the leaders that were being put were the ones that were killing the prophets. You see in the story of Elijah, Ahab and Jezebel. Ahab was a king, and Ahab, being led by Jezebel, was in fact Jezebel went ahead and slayed prophets. Ahab was the husband and allowed allowed her to do that. So we saw that 
after as the time before even Jesus came, they had been doing this. They have been killing prophets. They have been stoning them. They have been accusing them. They have been rejecting prophets anytime because the prophets that came of old were prophets that came with information of doom of um, not really doom, but like they came with warnings telling that, that this thing you people are doing, this is that the consequences. This thing you people are saying, these are the consequences. Don't worship idols, don't do this because your God is angry with you. And he was portraying these prophets, were portraying the word, not just to the public, they were telling the kings, but the kings were the ones that were slaying them. Who killed John? John the Baptist was the prophet, but John the Baptist was beheaded by a king because, of, because he was carried away by the dancing of a little girl. So you see that Jesus Christ has given them an example of what they have been doing. That they have been the one killing his servants, killing the servants of his father. And finally, the, fa the father decided to send him and said, okay, you know what? I'm going to send my son to you. They will respect my son. They will listen to him. And literally, they did the same thing. They literally did the same thing. They took him out of the vineyard and they slayed him. If you look at how Jesus Christ died, if you look at how Jesus Christ died and where he was, where he was hung, he was taken outside of Jerusalem at the outskirts and he was hung there. They took him out of the vineyard according to the parable. Jesus Christ was telling them that this is what you have been doing and this is what you are about to do to me. But then the irony is that the stone that the builders rejected became the chief cornerstone. That is, the person that they really needed was actually God himself. They had rejected him, rejected his servants. And it now turns out that the person that they needed is actually, didn't you know what a, a chief cornerstone is. That's like, if you're building, if I'm making a building for people that you into architecture, that building cannot be complete without that stone. In fact, it cannot stand without that stone. It will, it will, it will fall. It will literally fall to his, to the ground. Without that stone, that building falls. So the the stone that they rejected they said, "And oh, we don't want that stone." They started building. They now notice that the building is not standing well. They now say, "Ah, this building is about to fall, or maybe the building has fall, has fallen like five or six times." And I said, "Ah, we need this stone. Oh, where's this stone?" That's God. They had rejected him so much that. Now realizing that you cannot, they eventually they realize that they cannot be or become. That's even a lesson to us that we cannot be or become anything without God. He is the chief cornerstone of our lives. If you build anything without God in it, it will crumble in years. In fact, if it can last years, think about it. Marriages that are built outside of God crumble in less than a month. Anything, businesses that are built outside of God crumble. Anything that is built without God in it crumbles because he is the chief cornerstone. He owns the vineyard. Do you understand? The earth is the Lord and the fullness thereof. You cannot build anything in the Lord's vineyard. You cannot build anything in his temple. You cannot build anything in his land. The earth is the Lord's. The earth is his footstool. So it belongs to him. So you cannot build anything in this dimension, but in any other dimension that is that ever exists in this world without the permission of the landowner, without the landowner. You cannot reject the landowner and try to build on the land. It's going to crumble 
because he's the chief cornerstone and you see here that's why um jesus christ said here that that the kingdom of god will be taken away from you will be taken away from you you um you leaders leaders that are that are taking it will be taken away from you this land will be taken away from you the kingdom of god will be taken away from you you leaders are leading people corrupt that corrupting people you're killing the prophets you're killing the name of you're, you're literally killing jesus again you've in fact you've, you're crucifying him again every day you are crucifying his word, but you are being put in a position of leadership. This is Jesus Christ saying that the kingdom of God will be taken away from you. And it will be given to people that will produce fruits. Do you know who those people are? People from the streets. Those are the people that will produce fruits. And those are the people that God is going to give the kingdom of God to. He's not going to give the kingdom of God to leaders or to people that reject him. To people that kill his servants. To people that kill his son every single day but they yet they proclaim his name now if you see that the pharisees quickly they cut their sob what did i say about pharisees pharisees are people that 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 proclaim to know god that proclaim that everybody knows them as oh these ones they know god they know this they know that they know this but they are the ones that are killing his servants low-key they are killing his servants and they are the ones that killed the son of god and god is saying that i will take my kingdom from you 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 vipers, you Pharisees that pretend to know my word, that pretend to the people, that show that you, you're all about title. You are all about title, not about purpose. You're all about, all about your fame and people knowing who you are rather than actually doing the work of God. God is saying, Jesus Christ is saying, yeah, I'm going to take my kingdom from you. And guess what? I'm going to give it to the people that you rejected. I'm going to be giving it to the people that you rejected. I'm going to give it to people in the streets, people that you look down on, people that you think that are nothing. Those are the people I'm going to give it to because those are the people that will produce fruit for me. Because those are the people that you rejected, but you will come to understand that they are the chief cornerstone because they have my kingdom. And without them, you cannot build. And um, that's literally just, for me, that's, I'm just rounding up. That's literally just everything about Matthew 21. You see that in the book of Matthew, Matthew the life of doing the journey of Jesus Christ. So you see that in Matthew 21, you see how Christ literally exercised authority. He walked into that place and he left a lesson. He gave them a warning. They could have taken this warning and done something differently with it. Obviously, they went ahead and they crucified him. But outside of that, he was not just warning, he was prophesying. Yeah, you could say that Jesus Christ was a prophet too. But then he wasn't just a prophet. He was the example of a kingly priest. He was the example of, see, Jesus Christ was the example of everything. He was the example of a man that came that was looked at from the streets. He was a man that was looked at as a as a prophet. And he was also a king because he was seen from the descendants of David. He was, he, was, he, was called, he was called the son of David. So he was a king. He was also looked at as prophet Elijah. So he was a prophet. But he also came from the streets. Because who were his parents? His father was a carpenter. His mother was, a, was, was Mary. His father was a carpenter. He could see how people looked at him and said, Jesus, is not Jesus, Jesus, the son of Joseph. Is he not the carpenter's son? So he was looked at, he was looked at as in from as street person. He wasn't classified as anybody or as anything. 
But here is Jesus walking into the temple and telling them, first of all, first, I am the son of the living God. So, <laughs> don't know what you're saying. Secondly, he healed the sick. <laughs> yeah, doing miracles. Thirdly, he told them to their faces, this is what is going to happen to you. And he prophesied. He walked into, that's where it was a triumphant entry. He walked into Jerusalem on a donkey. Only kings ride on like horses, but he, he rode on a donkey. That donkey was a representation of the lowest, the lowest, like how he was, he was like the king of the streets. Because the people that were hailing him were not people from the church. They were streets people. He was the king of the streets, but he was also the son of God. And he came, he walked into the church and for the first time since he became ordained and he preached the word and he told them, he said, that the kingdom of God is going to be taken from the Pharisees, taken from you. And it's going to be given to the people in the streets, going to be given to a people that will produce fruits. And if you look at the first parable, it was the first sons. Those were the prophets, the, prof, the pro, prostitutes. <laughs> Sorry about that. Those were the prostitutes and the um, money changers, the tax collectors that you you look down on that you reject those are going to be the chief cornerstones those are going to be my people and that is what jesus christ was telling them was literally prophesying and you see how this 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 is literally just i don't think it's just a random word i think it's a word that applies for us now because if when saying we are children of god we are not just to be we are not to be we're not pursuing title we're pursuing purpose and in purpose, you have to, you need to understand that you need to focus and you need to understand that the streets is literally where, if you look at, I, I will just, I'm just digressing a bit. When they talk about Proverbs, in the book of Proverbs, they said Proverbs was in the streets. Proverbs was shouting out in the streets. There's something about the streets, about go forth and make disciples of all nations. The going forth is into the world, the streets. That's where Jesus Christ started his ministry from. That's where he started preaching. That's where he started sharing the word. And even when the disciples we, we received the tongues of fire, they went out. This is how, how, um, how the disciples went out and they were preaching the word to the people in the streets. Because those are the people that even though they listen and say they will not, they will not do it, they will still do it. And I want us to just meditate on everything that has been discussed in today's episode. And to look back at our lives, are we really disciples or are we Pharisees? Where do we stand? Are we asking why or are we asking who? Some of us don't even listen to certain people if if they are not, if they are not, if they don't have fifteen thousand followers. Some of us don't even listen to anybody if if they don't know this person and that person. Like who is that person? I don't know who they are, so I cannot listen to them. You're going to miss out on your destiny. By looking at who you're going to miss out on your purpose in life by looking like who by looking like looking at who. When you focus on purpose, you understand that God can use anybody. When you focus on purpose, God can use anybody. If Jesus Christ came in and was focused on title, do you know that he would have followed the Pharisees and he would have also looked down on John the Baptist? But John, that was someone that was that was looked down on, was the person that even baptized Jesus Christ Himself. And the Holy Spirit came down on him right there and then. Don't look at who. Look at why. Why are you here? When you look at why and identify purpose, then you know that the materials and the resources that are available to you are limitless. When you look at who, 
you're limiting your scope you're limiting your focus you're limiting your perspective and you can only go as far as you you know certain people but when you look at the why you can go like this the sky is your starting point because god can use anybody because he knows that you are focused on purpose are you a disciple or a pharisee are you a child or are you a son think about these questions ponder in your spirit and meditate and ask yourself because if you're a follower of jesus christ then you are like him and if you are like him study his character look at how he acted in this in this particular passage look at his relationship with disciples ask yourself really and truly where do i stand okay that's it for today's episode thank you so much for listening i pray that everything that has been shared here um the holy spirit will speak to you in a language that you understand in any area where there's confusion he will shine his light and you will come to a greater understanding of who you are and why you are in christ jesus and you'll be able to walk the purpose and the calling in which you were called for for in jesus precious marcus name i pray amen have an amazing day guys thank you for listening once again to the bride of the lord jesus christ have an amazing beautiful wonderful glorious day god bless you and i love you bye